Father, we bless you. Um, we thank you for your goodness towards us. Uh, we thank you for your love. Um, and pray that you would uh, guide us as we talk about the Nicene Creed. Pray that your presence would be here, that you would fill us with your spirit um, and help us just to respond to um, who you are and all that you've done for us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, each week, basically what we'll do is we'll walk through a different section of the creed. Um, so uh, we've got it split into four parts. The creed is really split into three parts, but we'll walk through um, four because the largest section of it, which you guys know because you say it every Sunday, uh, about Jesus is very long. So trying to fit that into one week is hard. It'd be a long session. We could do it, but <laughs> I think people want to go home. So we split it into two. <laughs> um, so basically what we'll do is we'll kind of walk through each of those lines in the creed and talk through, okay, what do, what do we mean when we say these things? Um, at any point, if you have a question, ask a question. You don't have to raise your hand. It's not formal. Just ask the question. Um, so questions are good. Um, so tonight we're going to talk through uh, the first section of the creed, but before we even get to that, we'll talk about the history of the creed. So where did the creed come from? Um, why was it written? Um, and all that. Uh, and then we'll shift into the actual language of the creed and start talking about that. So make sense? So, um, let's keep these up there. But, so the origin of the creed actually begins with a priest who was named Arius. So in the year 318 AD, Arius began to teach that Jesus was God's first creation. Um, Arius was responding to, he had heard a sermon um, where someone was comparing the father and the son and talking about how similar they were. And so Arius felt like he was not distinguishing the father and the son enough. Um, and so he was responding to actually an old heresy called uh, Sabellianism, named after Sabellius, or modalism, which said that the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit are exactly the same. So sometimes God appears to us as the father, sometimes he appears to us as the son, sometimes he appears to us as the spirit. Um, the church had rejected that idea. Um, otherwise, you have Jesus praying and he's talking to himself, right? Um, or at the baptism, you have the Father speaking from heaven, the Son is being baptized, the Spirit descends on him from the, as a dove. They can't all be the same. Um, so the church had rejected that idea. And so Arius had heard this sermon, though, where somebody was comparing the Father and the Son and their similarities and thought that this heresy was coming up again. And so he overreacted to that and said, well, no, the Father and the Son are distinct, so much so that the Father created the Son. Um, so one of his uh, famous lines was, there was a time when the Son was not. Um, and so he, uh, he preached this, he shared this with people, um, and it became very, very, very popular over time. Um, so there's a lot of debate around this, and so Constantine, who had converted to Christianity, um, and he uh, made Christianity a legal religion, he actually didn't make it the religion of the Roman Empire, his successor Theodosius would do that. Um, but he uh, legalized it, and he saw that there was this big issue, and so he said, okay, well, let's, let's call together the church and work out uh, which side is right? Is Arius right or the people who are opposing him, are they right? Um, so he called together a council um, in the city of Nicaea, which is why it's called the Nicene Creed. Um, so 318 bishops from around the world gathered in Nicaea to debate this issue. Um, and this was, this was actually a, uh, so this is the, it's called the first ecumenical council, but you might remember if you've read through the book of Acts um, in Acts chapter 15, um, there was controversy over the group of people who were called the Judaizers. Um, so they were a group of Christians who said, for these Gentiles who want to become Christian, uh, you need to become Jewish first. You need to get circumcised, enter into the first covenant, then you can enter into the second covenant. 
Um, if you've read the book of Galatians, you can, you can read Paul's very heated response to that, right? Saying that you've, you've received a different gospel, telling those who tell people to circumcise to cut the whole thing off. Got very upset about it. Um, so very, very, again, very, very heated debate, right? Which is right. And so the church gathers in Jerusalem um, around 50 AD and decides um, together, all the apostles gather and they say, no, we're siding with Paul's interpretation of this, that um, Gentiles, you don't need to enter into the, into the first covenant. We couldn't keep the first covenant. Why would we expect you to be able to keep the first covenant, enter into the second covenant? Um, and so the church, again, is doing this, right? It's gathering together and saying, okay, so as a, as a church, how do, we, how do we view this? So the bishops gather, the successors of the apostles, um, to debate this issue. Um, Three twenty-five is when it, when the council gathers. Yeah, three eighteen is when Arius starts preaching this. Yeah, so so yes, just a coincidence. Um, and you do get different numbers depending on the document. That's the average that we think was there. Um, this was not uh, where the church decided which books belong in the Bible. This was not where uh, the church decided whether or not Jesus was the Son of God. Um, so if you've read the Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown promulgates this idea. That's not what happened. Um, the church didn't decide the canon. In fact, you don't have any, even the earliest ecumenical council, if you want to call it that, deciding the canon, at least in the Roman Catholic Church, is the Council of Trent. Um, that's more than a thousand years later. The church didn't decide what, what was in the Bible here. And whether or not Jesus was the Son of God wasn't up for debate. What that means was up for debate, but it wasn't, they weren't deciding whether or not he was the Son of God. So don't get your history from Dan Brown. Don't get your history from the Da Vinci Code. Um, that's not what was happening. Um, but they did debate this issue. They debated, okay, so is Jesus just a creature or is he divine by nature? Is he co-eternal and co-equal with the Father? Um, and after a lot of debate, um, the bishops voted heavily in favor um, of recognizing that Jesus is divine by nature, that he's equal to the Father. Um, so does that kind of make sense? Okay. Um, so uh, in response to this, they wrote the Nicene Creed. Um, so this is the original Nicene Creed, um, and let's go ahead and read that together. So we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things, visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, that is, of the substance of the Father, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, of the same substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, both in heaven and on earth, who for us men and our salvation descended, was incarnate, and was made man, suffered and rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, and comes to judge the living and the dead, and in the Holy Spirit. Those who say there was a time when he was not, and he was not before he was begotten, and that he was made out of nothing, or who maintain that he is of another hypostasis or another substance, or that the Son of God is created, mutable, or subject to change, the Catholic Church anathematizes. Flows right off the tongue. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this is, this is the original version. Um, note that all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned, but the word Trinity is not used. You also won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. Um, that was used um, by the early church. Um, Tertullian's the first one, at least in the West, that uses the word Trinity. Um, but, uh, but you'll see this. And you also, you also notice that the, that the council specifically condemns at that end there any language that indicates that Jesus was created or that he was a creature, right? 
Um, so specifically calling out uh, areas as language. There was a time when he was not, or that he was not before he was begotten, or that he was made out of, out of nothing, um, or that he's another substance, or that he's somehow uh, distinguished from the Father in, in terms of his substance or his nature, um, that he's created, that he's mutable, which means he's changeable. Um, that anybody who's teaching these things, the Catholic Church anathematizes, cut off, cuts off from the church. Um, any questions about that? It's strange that at that time it would have been both the Catholic and the Orthodox Church because they haven't split. There, yeah, there's no such thing as a different church. There is only the Catholic Church, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and that's what we'll talk about. Um, so later in the Creed, obviously, we say we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Um, we'll talk about what, what Catholic means there, but just very briefly, um, the reason why Christians begin to call themselves Catholic um, is because that word actually means literally according to the whole. And so they were uh, distinguishing themselves from heretics. And so heretics means somebody who chooses their own way, right? So are you a heretic where you pick and choose the bits of the faith that you like, or are you Catholic where you receive the entire faith? That's the distinction. Um, so that's how that word is used. And eventually when the split happens in 1054, I think, um, the West says, well, we're Catholic. We have the whole faith and the East says we're Orthodox. We have the right worship. Because everybody called themselves Christian. The Gnostics would say they were Christian. The Macedonians would say they were Christian. All these different groups said, oh, yeah, we're Christians. Because they read the same book, right? So then the question is, okay, well, how do you, how do you understand the Bible? How do you interpret it? Yeah, some places they'll replace it. Yeah, 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 a lot of people respond negatively, yeah. But it's actually important that I think that we reclaim that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and again, like, like John was saying, at this point, there is, there is no distinction. You're either a heretic, you're one of these other groups that doesn't believe the whole faith, or you're Catholic. There is no other category. Um, there is no other church. It doesn't exist. Yes. Uh, well, that's the next part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's what the word literally means. Um, it's beget. It's the same word. Yeah. Um, so Luke uses the same word when he when he goes through the genealogy and says this person beget this person, this person beget this person. That's that's what it means. Um, what we mean when we talk about Jesus being begotten, um, and the church will eventually use language um, specifically saying eternally begotten, which we say in the updated version of the creed that we say um, every Sunday. Um, we'll talk about in detail on the in the second session, um, but the word does mean that. The question is, is that what John means when he uses that word? Like in John 3.16, yeah. John is actually the only one that uses the term only begotten, monogenes in Greek. Um, he's the only one. So, um, and, there's, and there's debate about even how to translate that. Um, traditionally, it is only begotten. Some have argued for unique. Um, so, but, uh, or you'll see like uh, in the NIV uses, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, um, which is pointing towards unique understanding. But. Um, monogenes, the second word is geneo, it means to beget. Um, so those, that's, those are the root words, that's how it's been understood. Um, and again, when you're looking at the language of the creed, to say that that means unique doesn't make sense, right? Um, so 
Is that, is that kind of, well, like I said, we'll talk about it more fully, what, what that word means as it's used scripturally um, in the second session. But, um, but yeah, you wouldn't be wrong to go, if I see that word, if you were to read that again in Greek, if you were living at that time, you see the word beget. That doesn't imply anything other than what beget means. Um, so the question is, what does John mean when he's saying that? Um, so, and the context matters, right? So, yes, what does it mean when we say that he's begotten and not made? Yeah, so we'll, again, second session, we'll, we'll dive into that. Um, so, but that's, but that, we already know, just as a brief and not perfect analogy, depending on context, words mean different things. So if I say, go get that out of my trunk, and then there's no elephant there, you know I'm talking about my car, right? Um, or maybe the chest in front of my bed, or what, you know, whatever, whatever I mean in the context. Same thing is true of begotten. Okay, what does John mean when he's saying that? Um, so, um, any other questions about this? Okay, so note that the, uh, let me go back. Uh, so the creed doesn't talk about everything, right? It is, and it wasn't meant or intended to be an exhaustive list of everything that Christians can or should believe, right? So there's plenty of things that are not in the creed. It doesn't define what sin is, for example, right? Um, it doesn't define, you know, that Jesus will come again. Well, when? And, wh and what's, what does that mean? And, you know, are you pre-millennial, millennial, pre-post-tribulation? None of those questions are, are even on there, and they wouldn't have asked those questions, by the way. Um, but it doesn't define lots of, lots, of, lots of things about that, right? Um, so it's not meant to do that. Um, the creed is specifically responding to the teachings of Arius. Um, that's why the church gathered, right? Um, Arius' teachings continue to be incredibly popular. You would see the teachings rise up over and over again, um, whether it be full-blown Arianism or what was called semi-Arianism, um, or just different ways of putting it. Um, and his teachings are still alive today with Jehovah's Witnesses. So Jehovah's Witnesses believe the exact same thing that Arius does in terms of who Jesus is, in that they believe that Jesus is the first and greatest creation of the Father. Um, so. Knowing the creed is actually important. So if, you, so if a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door and you want to have any idea how to talk to them about their faith, if you know the creed and you know what it means, you can have that conversation um, and work through that. Um, so the creed's not exhaustive, right? And so after the council, um, different groups rise up. Um, so in the west, they're called the Macedonians. In the east, they're called the Pneumatakians. Pneumatakians is Greek for spirit attackers. Um, and they basically said, fine. The creed is defined that the Father is divine by nature and the Son is divine by nature, but the Holy Spirit, no, not divine by nature, right? Uh, and so they were arguing against this, um, saying that the Father and the Son were rightly called God, but the Spirit was not rightly called God. Um, and remember, the Nicene Creed said very little about it, right? So we said all the things that we believe about Jesus, because that's what we're dealing with, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. Done, let's move on, let's anathematize everybody who says these things, right? Because they weren't dealing with this issue. So, uh, in 381, the Council of Constantinople is called, and it's called to deal with numerous issues, um, but one of these issues is dealing with these people who are saying that the Holy Spirit is not divine by nature, that the Holy Spirit does not share in the Godhead. Um, and so, as a result, they write the final version of the Creed. Um, so, let's go ahead and say this together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. 
For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So this is this final version where they, again, particularly in this last section is where you see the major differentiations of, of saying, okay, let's explain what we mean when we say that we believe in the Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and furthermore, even some additional things, right? What do we mean when we say we believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church, baptism, resurrection of the dead, all these things. Um, so in, the, in our fourth week, final section, we'll actually walk through all of these things. But any, any questions about this at this point? Yeah, yeah. So, so sometimes they'll call it the like Nicano Constantinople in Creed. You'll sometimes see that, but that doesn't roll off the tongue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but um, yeah, my guess would be because its origin is at Nicaea that that's why it, it's called that. So, but you will sometimes see in, especially in um, history, historical texts, you'll see it referred to as the. This is the Apostles' Creed, yeah, which is um, used in the church as the creed for baptism, right? So we just had our baptisms at Easter, and they said the, the Apostles' Creed. The Athanasian Creed, yeah, which is named after Athanasius, who fought against Arianism for his entire life, was, was exiled five times over it, um, was at the Council of Nicaea as a deacon, eventually became a bishop, um, and fought over this specific issue for his entire life. Um, yeah, he was. He's so. If you, if you, and if you really want to understand Nicene Christianity, what do they mean when they say these things? Athanasius is great to read. So he he wrote on a book called On the Incarnation. That's excellent. Um, his discourse against the Arians, his first discourse against the Arians, there's more than one, is excellent for explaining what does it mean when we say eternally begotten. Um, I wish I had read that a long, long time ago because I always struggled with that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we'll get to that and we'll, we'll talk through it. But if you want to read the original sources for what, it, what do they mean when they're saying that and how are they responding to that idea? Again, particularly if you want to talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, great, great, great stuff. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. For a long time when I would say the Apostles' Creed, because you learn it in the, in the old English, yeah, I'd say that he'll come to judge the quick and the dead, yeah. Which uh, Walter Martin used to have a joke when he lived in the Bronx. He said, if you weren't quick, you were dead. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, they would meet and they would gather, and you'd, you'd see you'd see smaller councils, which would, would be called synods, um, that would meet over smaller issues. Um, and you started to see these, what are called ecumenical councils, because they're gatherings of the whole church um, to deal with these larger issues as they come up. But yeah, these, these the reason why Athanasius is exiled five times is because a bunch of people who are in power go, no, we like Arius' interpretation, and so we're gonna kick you out. Um, so he would literally get forced out um, of his city and of his church. Um, yeah, so this, this definitely affected, you'd have, you'd have riots. Um, when the Germans come in eventually um, and take over uh, Europe, they are Aryan. Um, so eventually, I forget who comes in and, and beats the Germans, but they were Nicene, and so the rest of the world becomes Nicene Christian again. So it goes back and forth. Um, Arianism, yeah, throughout history, it continues to swell up because it's, it's very popular because the reality is we, the same, same reason why Sabellianism or modalism is very popular still today. Many people think that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are exactly the same. Um, is because it's logical, right? Modalism is called a logical heresy because it's very easy to work that out, right? Um, but if I feel like I've figured out God, I'm probably wrong, <laughs> right? Um, not to say that the that the the Trinity or that the Nicene Creed is illogical, um, but there, there's there's something of a mystery to it, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's something to so again, not that it's illogical, um, but but the what we really want to work out is if the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and this is what this whole class and what the whole creed is doing, right? And the, and the scriptures, if the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are clearly distinguished in the scriptures as being different persons relating to one another and interacting with one another, um, and yet all three persons are called God, how do you work that out, right? Is Jesus a God like Jehovah's Witnesses teach? Well, there's only one category of God, true God and false God. So is Jesus a false God? Is he a smaller God where he's not really, right? What do we mean when we're saying these things, right? So our, our, what, we're, what we're doing, again, you won't see the word Trinity in the Bible. You will see the idea of the Trinity in the Bible, though, where all three persons are called God. It's the scriptures insist over and over again, there's only one God, and yet calls all three. So, okay, so if there's only one God and there are three persons, how do we work that out? And so what the creed is doing is it's, it's giving us language to talk about this. Um, so Father Michael McKinnon, um, likes to talk about orthodoxy as, uh, as being like a ballroom. When you go to a dance, you dance in the ballroom. You don't dance in the kitchen. You don't dance in the bathroom. You don't dance in the foyer. You dance in the ballroom, right? And so what the, what the creed is doing is it's giving us parameters. Here's the space for you to talk about. When I talk about Jesus, what do I mean when I say that Jesus is, is God? Well, I mean that he's the only begotten son of God, that he was eternally begotten. It is in Greek. It, w it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been. No, and yeah, in the original Greek, yeah, there's no distinguish. Mm -hmm. The word is Jesus. John makes that clear in verse 14. The word becomes flesh and dwelt, dwelt among us. So yeah, um, yeah, logos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. Absolutely. So this 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 is why the, yeah this is why this is really yeah so so yeah asking why why is this why do we make such a big deal about this is this really a salvation issue? So in John seventeen three Jesus says eternal life is he's praying to the Father he says eternal life is to know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent um, right so Jesus himself defines eternal life as knowing who the Father is and knowing who Jesus is so if I'm going to know God and be in right relationship with him and I have no idea who he is I think his son is a creature. 
or I think the Father and the Son are exactly the same, right? If I confuse you and your wife, I don't really know you, right? So knowing God matters. Um, now, does this mean you have to get your language perfect all the time? No, God knows you're a human being. Sometimes you can, we can mix things up. But um, knowing God um, is eternal life. So sort of, sort of know who he is matters. Um, that's why, uh, so like in, in Jude 3, um, that's verse 3. There's only one chapter of Jude. Um, if, you want, if you haven't read a book of the Bible and want to read one, Jude is very quick. Um, he says to, to, um, to d- uh, defend the faith once handed down to the saints, right? Um, and so that's what the church does. That's why we look to, and we'll get, again, we'll get to this uh, in, our, in our fourth section, but this is why we look to the uh, faith Catholic, the whole faith, um, and the faith that's been handed down, not bits and pieces. Um, so it matters that we get these things right. Sometimes we can do these things and go, oh, it's just, that's just for the birds, it's just theology. Well, no. If you don't know who the Father is and you don't know who the Son is, how are you going to pray? Are you sure you're baptizing correctly? Are you sure? What other stuff do you not know? So it, these are really big, important issues. Um, so that's why it matters that we think through them. And, and yeah, so um, yeah, to the point where the, they would say anybody who says that the Son is a creature, the Church, the Catholic Church, anathematizes. You're cut off from the Church. You're cut off from salvation, um, in their view. Does that make sense? How do, so how does it deal with? Yeah, uh, it, yeah I, so there's nothing wrong, I don't think, with saying Jesus always existed um, because we don't, so even though there was a time when Jesus was not a human being, he always existed, right? Um, so, and the reality is if, if, if we refer to him as the Logos, people won't know what we're talking about. If we refer to him as the Word, people won't know what we're talking about often. Son of God, you might be okay um, doing that, right? Yes, oh, absolutely, unequivocically. Well, he's, he, he's doing a lot there, yeah. Uh, and again, we'll, we'll go into detail on that in session two, but, but Jesus, Jesus, by calling him Logos, he's, he's calling back to Genesis, unequivocally, right, where God speaks the world into existence. And John is saying that Logos, which means word, right, or logic, that Jesus is the means by which God was doing that, that he was there from the very beginning. Jesus, and, and what he's trying to say is, uh, so for example, in verse 18 of John 1, he says, no one has ever seen God, the only begotten Son, he has made him known. But the Son reveals the Father to the world. Jesus, the Logos, is what God has to say. Um, right? That's what he's getting at, that, that Jesus is the one who reveals the Father. Um, so there's a lot of, we, we lose a lot there when we move away from Greek, but <laughs> that's what he's getting at. Before Abraham was, I am, yeah, John 8, 58, yeah. So, so he's, he's always speaking, you know, it, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I was here before the, the, uh, before the, the, the founders of society, if you will, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and so that's, that's a, you know, that's, a, that's saying that if he is a created being, So, yeah, and again, session, session two and three, we deep dive into that section of the creed because there's a lot there. Um, and, that's, and that stuff really, like, again, this stuff really matters because if we're... If we're and then it really is in a, you know, three-dimensional way. 
I, th I think there are ways, well, yeah, we'll talk about what we like. There are ways to explain the text, yeah. but yet the full understanding of it is mind boggling. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. It's just, uh, it's amazing. Yeah. You, you have to believe it to get to see results that every mm -hmm. person mm -hmm. can rely on. You know, these grocery store lines. Sure. The business adventures of God mm -hmm. are. Yeah. Yeah, God's God's beyond our our experience and understanding in, in very real ways. Yeah. Um, like the stories that the Revelation that it tells us that the great God. Yeah. 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 Yep. He's never not. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So actually, well, so we're 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 going to talk about that. So let's let's go ahead and shift over. No, we're good. I get. Hey, there's there's lots of stuff here. That's why that's why I love I love teaching this class because there's a lot here and there's a lot of stuff that's that's fun thinking about and talking through. Um, so let's let's shift. So we're gonna shift away from the history of this and we're gonna shift into the actual language of the creed. Um, so asking the question, what does God mean? What do we mean when we use the word God? Um, so so typically when you're seeing the word God, either used in scriptures or just spoken about, um, most of the time when we say God, we mean Father, right? So John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? So who, who, who does John mean when he says God there? He means the Father because the Father gives the Son, right? Compared to other passages, like, for example, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Well, we know from the New Testament it's explicit that the Father created all things through the Son. In the Psalms it talks about how the Spirit was there forming things, right? Um, when we, when we uh, get to Revelation and the uh, cherubim are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? Those three holies. Emphasis, sure, but we also know that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? So that we can say the Father is holy, the Son is holy, and the Spirit is holy. Um, so the context, again, going back to the, to the trunk thing, right? The context tells us, okay, who's, who are we talking about um, when we use that word God? Um, the New Testament clearly teaches that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all divine by nature, but that they are distinct from one another. Um, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all share in one divine being, but are distinct persons. Um, and so again, the creed, the creed gives us um, this language for us to, to rein in, how, how are we talking about these things? Um, does that make sense? So, the scriptures are very clear that there is only one God. Um, so somebody wanna read Deuteronomy 6, 4, 5 for us? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The Shema, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that first word there is Shema, which means here. Um, and is also where uh, Simon Peter gets his name. Simon is, or, uh, what do you call that? Kind of a Greek version of uh, Shema. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so here we have this, this creed, really, uh, of, of Judaism saying that the Lord, um, uh, our God, the Lord is one, um, and that you ought to love him with all, with all that you are, right? Um, in Isaiah, uh, wants somebody go ahead and read that from Isaiah 43. For me there was no good said thing formed, and 
shall there be in the city. Um, I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no God. Right. So Isaiah makes it really, really clear here, right, as he's, as he's um, speaking for uh, God, right? You are my, so in this, th- these verses are actually good. Um, so this is where Jehovah's Witnesses get their name, um, is this verse. Um, also, if you're talking to Mormons who believe that there are many gods and that they can become gods one day, right? God says, before me there was no God formed, and neither shall there be after me. I, even I am he. Besides me there is no savior, right? Unequivocally, no gods before him, no gods after him. Um, and if you read that whole passage, really, Isaiah, like 40 through 43 or 44, um, God is, is chastising the nations who believe in all these idols and saying, look, they can't prophesy, they can't speak the future, they can't do any of these things, they don't, they don't make anything. In fact, they're made out of things. Um, I'm the one that made everything, though. There is no God besides me, um, right? Unequivocally, the scriptures teach only one true God. Um, questions up to that? Um, in scriptures, we also see that God has a name. Um, so somebody want to read Exodus six for us. God also spoke to Moses saying, I am Yahweh. Don't take your Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, for if I had chosen him, Yahweh would not have given him such a name. Um, so here we have God giving Moses his name, right? Um, so he says that he appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and, da- and Jacob as God Almighty, as El Shaddai, um, but he did not give them the name Yahweh. Um, over time, the Jews began to fear misusing God's name, um, right? So one of the Ten Commandments, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Um, so what they began to do in fear of, of doing this is they began to use other terms to talk about God. Um, so they would use Hashem, which is Hebrew for the name. Um, they would use Adonai, which is Hebrew for Lord or Master. Um, or they would even go so far as to use heaven, um, and so uh, we see that heaven begins to become popular between the Old and the New Testaments. Um, and uh, the book of First Maccabees gives us an example. So Maccabees tells the story. If you ever wonder where did Hanukkah come from, First Maccabees gives you your answer. That's why you should read the Apocrypha. Um, in John 10, Jesus shows up to the temple, and it's the Feast of Dedication. That's talking about Hanukkah. Um, so Jesus celebrated it, so maybe you should know something about it. Um, but we see them coming after a battle, um, and it says, On the return, they sang hymns and praises to, he- uh, to heaven. For he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Now, if you're familiar with the Psalter, you'll know he is good, and his mercy endures forever is a regular refrain in the Psalms, right? And the, the Maccabees, the Jews who are returning from battle, aren't saying that heaven is good, and heaven's mercy endures forever, right? They're saying God. But again, to distance themselves from God's name so that they don't take it in vain, they've begun to use heaven. You even see this in the New Testament. So when Matthew writes his gospel, he's writing his gospel to uh, Jewish readers primarily. Um, and actually, according to tradition, um, Matthew's gospel was originally written in Hebrew and then later translated into Greek. Um, but you see these little uh, pieces. So Matthew quotes from the Old Testament tremendously all over the place. Um, but he also does things like this. So in Matthew chapter 4, uh, after the baptism um, and temptation of Jesus, it's, he says, From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. When you read the same account in Mark and Luke, they just say kingdom of God because they're writing to Gentiles. Matthew is writing to Jews, so he uses heaven, right? So again, this this idea of this distancing from the name of God. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, 
thinking of that word Jesus Lord and I just read that. That yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, they have this very heavy reverence for God's name. Um, even in the Lord's Prayer, that's the first thing we say, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus was not afraid of saying that God's name is holy, right? Um, so, um, so it's actually important that we, that we recognize that. Um, so moving on to talk about the, the divine names. Um, so again, because the Jews were so fearful of misusing God's name, what actually happens is the pronunciation of God's name gets lost for some time. Um, so up at the top, uh, oh, there we go. Top left there, you can see uh, in Hebrew that's the divine name. It's the Yod Hey Vav Hey, um, sometimes called the Tetragrammaton. Um, but basically, what the what the Jews would do is is when they were uh, translating the um, well, actually when they were, when, so when they were reading, if they were if you're reading from a scroll, and this is still true today, if you go to a synagogue and they're and they're reading from um, a scroll and they get to God's name, they won't say. Yahweh or Jehovah or any, anything else like that, they will say Adonai, um, which again, like we mentioned before, is just Lord or Master, right? Um, when they translated the Old Testament into Greek, which is called the Septuagint, um, which by the way, when the New Testament is quoting the Old Testament, very, very often, maybe around half the time, if not more, they're actually quoting from the Septuagint, from the Greek translation, not from the Hebrew, because they're mostly writing to Gentiles who can't read Hebrew, but can read Greek. Um, so when they translate that, they don't write the divine name, because again, by this time, you're not, even, you're not even pronouncing it, and they don't know how to pronounce it. Um, they write the Greek equivalent, which you can see on the top right there, kurios, um, which again, just means Lord. Um, so this is, this is why when you're reading your English Bible, this tradition continues, right? So when you're in the Old Testament and you see Lord in all caps, that's the divine name. That's Yahweh. Um, if you just see Lord, it's just Adonai, um, just regular Lord. Sometimes you'll see Lord and then God is in all caps, when that's happening, it's uh, Lord God. Then it's uh, Adonai Yahweh is what's happening there. When the God is in all caps, that's a divine name. But they already use Lord. So there's a problem with using Lord as a loan word for that. Because um, then you'd have Lord, Lord. Um, so, um, so this is what happens. So does that, does that part kind of make sense? Um, so, and again, this is why you don't see the divine name in the New Testament, because they wouldn't use it. Um, and in the New Testament, Jesus tells his disciples to start calling God Father, right? Um, this is certainly Jesus beginning to reveal who he is, right? Um, and so to help with those distinctions. Um, but as we'll see in, in later sections, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all called Yahweh. As they're quoting from the Old Testament, they will quote from passages that are explicitly talking about Yahweh and apply them to the Father, to the Son, and to the Spirit. Um, so does that make sense about God's name? Yeah, um, well, and actually, even even uh, Jehovah that comes from the from from a German translation, but it comes it comes from those vowel markings for Adonai. Um, is it? Yeah, from York. Lord of hosts, as I would say it in our old English, yeah. Lord of, yeah, if you see, yeah, whenever you see hosts, we'll do that with the, I, I keep the hosts in our, in our sanctus for the second service, because um, I like it, but yeah, it means armies. Um, so, uh, 
God is also the self-existent one, um, right? So we were, we were kind of starting to talk about this a little bit, uh, who made God, right? Um, so in Exodus 3.14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Um, so in this, in this passage, God's identifying himself as the self-existing one. He alone is uncreated. He alone is self-sufficient. There is no one before him, um, right? Uh, and so he's using this name, I am, right? Or I exist, I'm the existing one. Um, and when we, when we look at modern scientific theory concerning uh, the origins of the universe, right? And talk about like the Big Bang, um, which by the way, that was uh, proposed by a Catholic uh, uh, scientist. Um, a lot of people don't know that. Yep. <laughs> By the Hans. Yep. Roman Catholic scientist actually was the one that proposed the Big Bang. Yep. Um, when we talk about, you know, this concentration of, of all matter um, and everything in, in a single point, even then expanding out, that, okay, but so that's the, that's the beginning of this, right? Well, looking at, uh, after the theory of relativity and all that, what we're, what we're pointing to and what science is pointing to is, or scientists are pointing to, science is an idea, right? Um, is that time itself had a beginning, um, that space itself had a beginning. So we're not just talking about matter coming into being, that time, space, and matter, all these things all actually came into being at the same point, um, this singularity. Um, and so whatever set things in motion has to be immaterial, has to be timeless, and has to be immutable or unchanging. Um, so we call this being God, <laughs> right? Um, but basically saying, okay, when we look at the origins of everything, um, that if they all had a beginning, whatever, whatever made material can't be material itself, right? Whatever made time can't be stuck in time. Um, and whatever set things in motion, um, began time itself, can't, can't itself change, right? It has to be unchanging, um, which is exactly who the scriptures say that God is. Contract, yeah. So there's this idea of there's tons of universes mm -hmm. expanding and contracting all the time. Yeah. Um, but modern physics has proved that that not only is that not possible, our our universe is expanding mm -hmm. ever faster. Mm -hmm. So we we know that it's not it's not a, a it's not a system that mm -hmm. works the system that matter continuously and will have an ending. Right, yeah, the end, end of the universe is heat death, yeah, so unless something outside of it intervenes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so, um, yeah, no, this is, this, is what, this is what these things are pointing to. And I think it's important for us to recognize, we look, scientific theories will continue to change, will continue to evolve, but those are, the, those are the two main theories that have existed for thousands of years. Either the universe is eternal or something made it. <laughs> the, the, those are your two options, right? Genesis was right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Turns out. Uh, yeah. So speaking speaking of Genesis, one of the ways that that God reveals Himself to us is that He reveals Himself as the Creator. Um, so in Zechariah twelve one, um, it says, "Thus says the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth, and formed the spirit of man within Him." Um, right. So when we talk when we talk about God being that we say we believe in one God, the Father, the Creator of all things, visible and invisible. Right. So whatever whatever visible things are, God made them. Whatever invisible things are, 
uh, like the spirit of man within him, God made everything. Um, that anything that exists came into being through God. Um, and, and more than this, that God has revealed himself to us through the created order, right? So in Romans 1, Paul writes, and this is actually, again, here's another plug for reading your Apocrypha. Uh, Paul is pulling from the book of wisdom. Um, but Paul writes, for, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, right? So that the things that exist in the world actually point outside, right? So old, one of the old arguments for uh, the existence of God, um, uh, looking at uh, intelligent design or sometimes called the teleological argument, um, but basically saying if you were to, random, this is how it was um, proposed 100 or 200 years ago, if you were to find a watch in the middle of a forest, you don't assume that the watch naturally occurred there, you assume it was designed, right? Um, and that when we look at the world around us, we see this, it's also called the fine-tuning argument, right? We see this fine-tuning, right, in terms of how our planet um, can sustain life. It has to be at the right speed for orbit. It has to be at the right tilt around the sun. It can't be too close or too far. Um, all these different things that, that point to this design. Never mind once you have life, the intricacies of the design. Again, looking at hands, looking at your eyes, how they work, um, digestive system, pick, pick your thing. Um, yes, um, so, and, and, and that, that uh, that God made everything, right? So it's planets, stars, galaxies, gravity, time, space, atoms, molecules, angels, demons, um, right? So when I was in eighth grade, I took advanced art. Uh, so I can draw okay, right? God's way better than that, right? Um, <laughs> right, way, way, way better than that. Even if you pick your favorite artist, right? I really love Caravaggio. His real name was Michelangelo, but Michelangelo is already famous, so you can't go by Michelangelo, so he goes by Caravaggio. Love his stuff. Still doesn't compare to a leaf, <laughs> right? Just looking at the, again, the intricacies of the design of these things, uh, the, the cell that's in a leaf doesn't, compa doesn't compare, right? Um, and not only this, that, that, uh, that God's the creator, but, but that um, he, he's the best at what he does, right? So he does every genre well. You wanna see scary things? Go look at some spiders or a praying mantis or, right? You wanna look at something majestic? Go look at a lion. You wanna look at something that's aspirational? Go look at an eagle. Pick your genre, God does it all, and he does it all the best. Um, so, and again, that, that, that creation itself reveals him that his invisible attributes um, are made known through creation. Paul will eventually say, so that those who say that they don't know God are without excuse because the created order reveals God, God to them. Um, does that make sense? Um, scriptures also talk about God being holy. Actually, before we talk about that, what, what does the word holy mean? Set apart, yep. Um, really low level different, <laughs> right? God's different. He's different from everything else. He's distinct from everything else. Um, so it's just massive, massive chasm between God, the creator, and created things, right? We all had a, had a beginning. God never did. I've always seen that creation is indication to a perfect living self. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't need anything to satisfy his self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, he is, he is self-sufficient. He has no need. Um, yeah. Uh, which, which points all the more to when we, when we look at our salvation, he didn't need to save us. <laughs> he wasn't lonely, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, um, like even looking at sacrifices, right, uh, in the Psalms, what, do, you think I, do you think I need cattle? <laughs> do you think I need, do, need the blood of goats? Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, that God is, God is self-sufficient. Um, and, and that there's nothing like God, right? So when we talk about God, um, uh, Bishop Barron, who's a, he's a Roman Catholic bishop in the, I think in the Diocese of Los Angeles, um, 
he, he, talked, he likes to emphasize, God is not the best of all the things, right? Sometimes we maybe think about him like this, right? Um, I'm a thing, but what's better than me as a thing? Well, God, God's the best of things. No, God's not a thing, <laughs> right? He's in a completely separate category. Um, so it's really important that we really grasp that, right? Um, when we talk about God, that he's, he's a separate category. Um, Psalm 90 says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, that God's, God's eternal. We are, we are finite. Even in the resurrection, when we have new bodies and we won't die, we will still be very distinct and different from God, um, right? Uh, we'll live forever, but we'll still have been created. We, we have a beginning. Um, and more than this, that God is more righteous, powerful, merciful, creative, eloquent, inspiring, and magnificent than we can possibly imagine. Um, and our sin separates us from a holy God. It actually broadens this chasm between us. Um, so in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, somebody want to go ahead and read this? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Mm -hmm. right. So Isaiah, when he's ushered into God's throne room, he sees, he sees the, the uh, seraphim, um, which just means burning ones, by the way. Um, he sees them uh, with, their, with their wings. Um, he, sees, he sees them crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He actually says that he sees God. Um, by the way, in John 12, uh, John says that Isaiah saw Jesus. Um, again, Jesus is the one who makes the Father known, um, right? So he, he sees God, and he is undone, right, in his words. Um, I am lost, uh, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Yeah, he, he, he sees this. So, so he's, he's, he's brought into this presence, right? And, 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 and because of his complaint, right? One of the angels comes with a, with a tongue and, and burns his lips and says, there, you're clean, be quiet. Um, <laughs> right, but this is his immediate reaction, right? Even, even calling, calling, uh, calling forward really to, to Peter when he sees the miraculous catch of fish and he immediately says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man, right? He saw some fish and he was impressed enough to do this, right? Uh, Isaiah's in God's throne room, right? Um, but that, God, that God's holy, um, right? So these angels are crying this out. Why, why are they crying this out? Because God is different. He is distinct from everything else. Even these angels that he should be terrified to see, right? They're lofty. They're scary, right? Um, they're they're at a, on a different plane than we are. Again, God's not in the category of he's in this higher, higher spiritual thing. No, he's outside different category. He's completely and utterly different. He is holy. If you were to pick one attribute about God that you were to emphasize, holy, right? They don't say loving. Loving, loving, loving is the Lord God Almighty, right? Uh, holy, he's different, he's distinct, um, and that and that demands reverence and awe, right? Um, when somebody when somebody walks into the room that has distinguished honors, right, or or, uh, or is special in some way, right? Um, you know, pick pick your person, right? Um, immediately you you react to them differently, right? Um, if the president walked into the room, whatever your politics, the president walked into the room, you're going to react to him differently, right? Um, 
again, pick your person, right? So, so being able to go, okay, so again, different category, right? But even more so, that God is distinct, he's different. Um, and that because God is holy, God hates sin. Um, right, so I, Isaiah was particularly concerned as he, as he uh, is in uh, God's throne room because he is sinful, right? He says, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean, uh, an unclean people. Um, what, do, what do we mean when we say sin? Anything that separates us from God. Yeah. Um, yeah, part particularly, right, so, that, so uh, there's a few different words that are used um, in the scriptures. What's that? Missing the mark. Yeah, missing the mark, yeah. Um, transgressing, you're going over a line that you shouldn't go over. Um, right, so lots of different ways. But yeah, basically any, any, any action or attitude or thing that we do that separates us from, from the holiness of God. Um, right, so one of the one of the maxims that I've that I've mentioned before uh, is that uh, God is God is far more just than we can imagine and than we're comfortable with, and He's far more merciful than we can imagine or are comfortable with. Um, and we sometimes underestimate because we don't recognize what what holy means. We sometimes underestimate how much God hates sin. Um, That's the other thing we miss is we're so much holier than we can imagine mm -hmm. or or are comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so when, when we think about God's holiness and how that how that affects his attitude towards sin, if we if we're ever unclear, Genesis six makes it especially clear, right? So the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, "I will blot out man whom I have created on the from the face of the land." man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Um, right, so how, how bad did it get? Even the intentions of the thoughts of the hearts of men were evil. Um, right, it's not just evil actions. Sometimes I think about doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Even the, in the intentions of their thoughts were evil. Um, right, and so how, how much does God hate sin? God hates sin so much that he uses a flood to wipe out everything in the land. Um, this is this, this important. A lot of times uh, I, I remember um, somebody was reading through Genesis for the first time and they got to Genesis 6 and they really struggled with this, right? Well, God, God kills all these things. Why does God kill these things? And we do this because often we, I think what we've done is we've overemphasized God's love, if there is such a thing, to the exclusion, this is why it's overemphasized, of his holiness, right? And when we forget that God's holy, again, pick, pick your really important person, right? Um, if you get too close to them, they're, they're not going to be that, right? <laughs> hey, I'm not normal, right? Uh, stay away, right? Uh, uh, how uh, Lewis puts it uh, when Lucy's asking about Aslan, right? Well, is he safe? Well, no, but he's good, right? Um, he's not safe, though, um, right? So really need to keep these categories going and going, going simultaneously, right? Um, so, um, that God, so that God hates sin, but that God also alone is the only one who can save us, right? So... God's more just than we're comfortable with, but God's also more, more merciful than we're comfortable with, right? So in Hosea 13, God says, but I am the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me, there is no savior. Or again, going back to Isaiah 43, I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. Also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? 
not only are we, are, we, are we helpless, but outside forces also can't do this, right? God said, there's, there's nobody else that can save you. There's no, there's no other means of salvation. God alone is the only one that can save. Um, sometimes we might think that we can save ourselves, right? Well, I can get myself out of this situation. I've fallen into sin, and, and I can work it out. Well, well, no, you're the one that got yourself there, right? So you can't. You need outside help. Uh, we're helpless without God's help. Um, that God alone is, is the only one that can save us. Um, what, are, what are some of the things that, that God saved you from? Absolutely. Yeah, and that's that's actually a really important like when we think through again the holiness of God and, and but but also His love and His mercy, right? Of going, okay, even when things are bad, I can still imagine them being worse, <laughs> right? Uh, pick your horrible tragedy; it could still be worse, right? Um, but even God's love and mercy is, is exemplified in how He restrains us, right? We are we are not as bad as we could be, um, right? Pick, pick whatever your, your high point of evil, you know, you want to pick World War II, it could be worse, right? Um, what, whatever, whatever this is, or even our personal situations, it can always, it can always be worse. Um, yeah, um, and so that, that's, it's actually helpful, I think, for us to recognize that and go, okay, so, so <laughs> what does God save me from that I'm not even aware of, <laughs> right? Um, we know those things, right? right? You know, whatever, whatever the, you know, if it's selfishness, okay, well, God's, God's helped me to look beyond myself or, you know, whatever the thing is. He's the only one that can do it. Um, and he does it to the uttermost, right? He completely and fully saves us, right? Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that in, in sessions two and three, but, but that God saves us to the uttermost, that, he, that he, um, he's, he's actually doing more than just setting back the clock, um, so, which, is, which is why we'll sometimes talk about um, in the larger uh, Catholic, not Roman, although still Roman, uh, Catholic tradition, we'll talk about our, our, uh, our happy fall, um, how good it is that we fell. Uh, because God is doing more than just, set, again, setting the clock back. He's doing more than just setting things back. He's actually making things better than what they were. Um, and so because God alone can save us, because he's the only one that can redeem us, we recognize that God alone deserves our worship. Um, what does worship mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the old English, yeah, worth, worth-ship, yeah, is where that word comes from, yeah, ascribing worth or value. To, to adore, right? Um, when, you're, when you're seeing uh, that word in Hebrew or Greek, um, it, it literally means to bow down, right? To do obeisance to, to, to lower yourself in front of, right? Um, and even though we know that God alone can save us, even though we know that God is holy, even though we know that God is hate, hates sin, we still so often turn to idols, right? So in Psalm 115, the psalmist writes, uh, why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that pleases him. 
Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Right. This idea that you become like whatever you worship. Um, right. Very easy for us to see, to see this, right? Whatever, whatever sins we're dealing with, right? We're trying to become like something else, right? We're trying to become something that's, that's not God. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when we're looking at our, you know, we're spending some time in self-examining ourselves, right? If we're looking at ourselves and going, okay, well, I, I don't feel like I look like God, <laughs> right? What, what, am I, what am I worshiping? What am, what am I looking to instead of God? Um, yeah, that, these, that these, these idols that we place in our, in our lives um, can't save us. They can't make us better, right? Whether, whether it's literal idols, like we're talking about, right, things that you make, right, or things like celebrities, um, you know, uh, power, greed, name, name your thing that you're, that you're worshiping, right? They can't save us, right? If you become like your favorite celebrity, you will not be any better off. In fact, you'll probably be worse off, right? Um, so again, all, the, all these ideas are, are really tied together. Um, God's holiness, um, God's ability to alone to save us, um, and, that, and that he alone deserves our worship. Um, Yeah, we're made to worship. <laughs> yeah, so if you're not worshiping God, you will you will worship something else. Yeah, and that's and that's something you know as as we've tried to quote unquote privatize religion, and that's your own private matter, right? That's 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 one of the results of it. Um, so secularism is its own religion, um, and uh, there's I mean, if you're if you're un unclear about that, um, when you get worked about worked up about your religion, see how people get worked up about secular values and views as well, right? It's the same thing. Um, so. Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 important that we that we recognize it, and, and even thinking through, okay, how do I worship God, right? What's the best way for me to worship God? How do I how do I give Him the praise and the, and the glory that He's due? Um, It's, it's part of the office, that's why, yeah. Yeah, 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 it's not part of the liturgy on Sunday, that's why. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, even in Catholic Catholic churches, it used to be that the churches would do on alternate Sundays morning prayer and communion service. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the, the communion liturgy is, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so the communion liturgy is, is distinct, yeah. So, but, and you'll see, if you, if you do, Morning, morning, and evening prayer. You'll see lots of similarities, and and yeah, but um, yeah, they are definitely distinct. Yeah, there's your plug. Yeah, yep, go do it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. You can get your coffee on the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. It's it's yeah. That's 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 why. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, yeah, and actually, and actually, you'll see that even with the uh, uh, with the Canticles, um, right? So at the end of the Magnif Magnificat, for example, you'll still say "Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit." Um, yeah, um, that was one of the reasons why Jefferson didn't want to be Anglican, is because it's deeply Trinitarian. Um, yep. So. Uh, yeah, well, he cut out. Yeah, he cut out the bits he didn't like. Yeah. They, that's right, yeah, pretend that it's all there, yeah, yeah. And Jefferson wasn't new, by the way. There was a guy named Marcion who did the same thing um, <laughs> in the second century. So not a new idea to get rid of the parts you don't like. Um, it is an inconsistent way to think, though. Uh, so <laughs> um, so remembering that, that God's, God's merciful and just, um, and when we think about this, right, that, that God is dedicated to eradicating evil, that he will remove the wicked. Um, so in Psalm 34, um, it says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Um, right? Or even, even going to the first Psalm, right? that those, those who do not stand in the congregation of the righteous um, will not be able to stand in the day of judgment. That God is dedicated to removing wickedness, removing evil from the world. Um, but God is also dedicated to being merciful to us, right? So the prophet Micah writes, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love or unending love. Um, imagine if God was like us, if God kept grudges, right? He kept a record of wrongs. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, 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 we'd be helpless, right? It's, it's, if, he, if he was like us, we'd be out of luck. Um, thankfully, he's not. He doesn't, he doesn't stay angry, but he, he delights in steadfast or enduring love. Um, this, is, this is because he wants to, to, to be in fellowship with us, right? That the, that, yeah, his mercy endures forever and that he, he wants to redeem us, um, that he wants to set things right, um, that God doesn't give up on things. Um, Why didn't he do that? Well, the, 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 bi the biblical answer, right, so when, P when Peter talks about uh, the Lord is not slack in his promise to return, right, when we talk about the return, that's scary, judgment's coming, right? The Lord is not slack in his promise to return. Why, why hasn't he come yet? Because he wants that all should come to salvation, right? So you got that, that God is merciful, um, right? So that's, that's the biblical answer, right? Um, and, that, and that's what we see in our lives, right, that we're wicked, that we're lost, that we deserve judgment and wrath, but that God still reaches out to us. Um, so he's, he's desiring that to bring in more and more. Was the one that chose the path? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I, th I, th I think that's that's actually really, I mean, there's, there's. And that's that's all of our stories, right? Even even if you grew up in the church, I I grew up in a Christian home, right? I still wandered away from God. I still right. Um, so being able being able to go, okay, so what does it what does it mean for for that that God wants to be with us and to give us space and to give us time to to come back to Him um, because He loves us. Also, uh, this is putting the Bible crassly, uh, but God wrote a book. Um, he didn't really write a book. That's a bad way to put it. But God likes story, um, right? Uh, if we're unsure about that, look at how many times Jesus tells parables to get his point across, right? He tells stories over and over. God loves stories, and good stories have drama, uh, right? Good stories have intrigue. Good stories have, have that point where, okay, things don't seem like they're going to make it, right? He's got to have that conflict. I think God loves that, um, and, and, and we're like him, and we love it too, <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's, there's, there's something deeply true about that. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've mentioned that, uh, that I uh, play Dungeons and Dragons, um, and when I'm the when I'm the the DM, the dungeon master, or the game master, mm -hmm. part of what I'm doing is I'm weaving all these different stories together. Um, and so, in a very small way, it's helpful to kind of go, oh, there's this piece over here, there's this piece over here, and and the player doesn't know that all these things are happening, right? But I know that they're coming, right? And so he doesn't know that this is going to happen, right? Um, or if you're writing a book, that's a little bit more, you know. But uh, but that God's doing exactly that, right? Um, again, what, what evils has God spared us from that we don't even know about? Um, that God knows the end from the beginning, um, that he's working out his purposes um, through that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that's, that's actually a really, I think that's a very tangible thing that, that we don't, at least I don't hear it talked about very often. I think it's I think it's actually really important, particularly thinking through the problem of evil and why does evil last and all that. To I think that's a big that's a big part of it. Um, so God likes the conflict and to and the drama. Um, so if anything, Easter shows us that all the more, right? Christ and and, and return of Christ. All of this is this big, right? Seems like it's going to get worse, get worse, get worse, and boom, here he comes. Um, yeah. Um, but this is this is the 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 big mystery of the of the of the cosmos of the universe right that god the creator the preserver of all things wants to be with us that he wants to be in relationship with us um, like john was mentioning earlier that he's self-sufficient he doesn't need us right um, but he wants us right he wants he wants us to be with him he wants us to be like him um, that when we fail god wants to welcome us back into relationship with himself that we if we seek him that we can find him right um, so in james chapter four does somebody want to read this Yeah. 
recognize the the enduring mercy of God. Uh, but but yeah, that's right. Yeah, that God gives more grace. Um, not that sin should abound, but that we should be be made like Him. Um, yeah. Again, this doesn't give us pause. It just doesn't. That God wants us to draw near to him. God wants us to humble ourselves. God wants us, to get, because he wants to be in relationship with us. Um, yeah, that God's, that God's a jealous God, which is such an, ins- again, such an insane idea. <laughs> he has no need of us. Um, and yet he, yet he earns jealousy over and not, and not only us, but all of creation, that, right? That through Jesus is going to reconcile and redeem all of creation. Um, and that he's redeeming us so that all of creation can be redeemed. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to grasp <laughs> uh, how much he loves, but but one of the one of the best things about this I think is that when we when we this this is why things like understanding the creed um, and understanding who God is are so important. When we when we begin to grasp who He is and how much He loves us and how much He cares for us, it's not about head knowledge. Again, eternal life is to know the Father and the Son. Okay, but that should lead us to worship. That should lead us to adoration. That should lead us to to want Him more. Um, so. Uh, so in our last in our last moments here, we're going to spend a little bit of time praising God. Um, so we have some books of common prayer throughout here. So we'll go ahead and share those. I just one for you guys to share. And uh, we'll turn to Psalm twenty nine. Yeah, Psalm twenty nine. on page 620. Um, go ahead and stand with me if you're able. Um, let's let's uh, read this responsively by half verse, and, and when, we, uh, when we finish, let's just spend a few moments uh, just saying out praises to God. So ascribe to the Lord, you gods. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters, the glory of God thunders. The Lord is upon the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is a powerful voice. The voice of the Lord is a voice of splendor. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedar trees. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf. And Mount Hermon like a wild goat. The voice of the Lord splits the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the oak trees writhe. And strips the forest bare. And in the temple of the Lord, all are crying glory. The Lord sits enthroned above the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forevermore. The Lord shall give strength to his people. Go ahead and just uh, let out any any other praises you have for God. God, we do praise you because although you're the God who made the universe and everything in it, everything from the smallest particle or, or a little peak of energy to the huge galaxies and their structures, and 
main character, he's, he's nosy, he's in an experiment that's passed along the way. We're the gods who use sound to listen to us, cares about our problems that are like dust motes in, a, in an ocean of, of what's going on in the universe. But we care, mm-hmm. and we're able to care about each and every one of us. Well, God, we do not understand you. We do not know you like we should, but we are definitely in awe of you. Father, we pray a for Rachel and her family. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us. When we're down, you're there. When we're up, you're there. When we can't find our way, you are there. When we don't want answers, you are there. And God, forgive us when we fail you. Wash us as snow in your sweet body and tears will be shed. Job, who spoke out against you in the calamity that he faced, and then when you revealed yourself to him, he said, I have spoken of things I do not understand, and yet my God stoops down to answer me. Um, God, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us through creation, through your Son, through the indwelling Spirit that you give to us that cries out in our hearts that you are our Father. Um, We bless you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your justice, for your holiness, for your mercy. We pray that you would help us to love you more, help us to desire you more, help us to cast away any idols and to worship you, to love you and adore you. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.